This episode of the Lead Machine Growth Show is brought to you by Lead Machine, the step-by-step tech-easy system for getting leads online. Are you struggling to get leads from your lead magnet? Are you tired of seeing low conversion rates and losing potential customers? It's time to revive your lead magnet and start attracting more leads. Download our free report, 10 Deadly Lead Magnet Mistakes That Are Costing You Leads, and learn how to create a high-converting lead magnet that engages your audience and drives conversions. Don't let common mistakes hold you back any longer. Revive your lead magnet today and download your free report at www.getleadmachine.com forward slash deadly. Welcome to the Lead Machine Growth Show, where you will discover how to tackle your tech, master your message, and design your dream. Paul Guyen, the mastermind behind the Lead Machine, introduces you to trailblazers who inspire you to implement life-changing solutions and systems you can model to nurture your leads and get your offers seen by your ideal clients who will invest in themselves and you. Be sure you visit our website at www.leadmachinegrowthshow.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, tune in and get ready to transform your vision into reality. Well, hello there. This is Paul Guyon. I'm the Lead Machine Coach, the host and creator of the Lead Machine Growth Show, the Lead Machine Coaching and Mastermind Group, and I'm the international best-selling contributing author of Journeys to Success, Volume 2, and also the Food to the Rescue Cookbook, believe it or not. Welcome to the show, and thank you for tuning in. Today, we have a very special grand, uh, a very special guest, my friend and mentor, Ben Gay III. On a personal note, I first met Ben, uh, ben at a teleseminar that my business partner and I, Tony, were hosting for our mastermind group. And I believe it led up to one of our mind capture boot camps. I think it was in Las Vegas, but we also met in, in, uh, in Chicago. Ben is a perfect gentleman. He's a great storyteller, and he makes you feel as if you're the most important person in the room, which is a powerful sales skill to possess. In today's episode, we'll explore the mindset and methods of a sales champion and how you can learn from this master closer, how to master your message and design your dream of attracting and delighting clients from years to come. But let me tell you a little bit about my friend, Ben. Ben Gay III has been called a living legend in the sales world. After 50-plus years in professional selling, he's been the number one salesperson in every organization in which he has worked. At age 25, he was president of what was then the world's largest direct sales network marketing company, having been personally trained by a fellow sales legend, J. Douglas Edwards, Dr. Napoleon Hill, Earl Nightingale, William Penn Patrick, Zig Ziglar, Zig Ziglar, and many other giants. One of the most famous, popular, and powerful sales trainers in the world, Ben now writes, publishes, produces the closure series of books, audios, videos, newsletters, podcasts, live seminars, and a series of that is considered to be the foundation of professional selling. Ben was the founder and is the current executive director of the National Association of Professional Salespeople. 
Ben and his lovely wife, Gigi, live in Lake Tahoe in the little North California town of Plackerville, California, where the gold rush in California began. And I'd love to tell you a little bit more about him because he's really an amazing guy. He has worked continuously as a commissioned salesperson since he was 14 years old. But he'd already won a citywide fundraising sales contest in Atlanta, Georgia at age 10. When he was just 18, Ben was the number one salesperson at Macy's Atlanta, as well as one year later, the youngest buyer in Macy's then one year, 100 year history. He was the number one salesperson in a large organization of manufacturers representatives, then a major food brokerage company. And then the largest direct sales, multi-level marketing, network marketing company in the world at the time in a 50-year-old management consulting firm and yet another international direct sales company. In fact, Ben has been the number one salesperson in every organization he's ever been. And through his mentoring, coaching, consulting, books, audio programs, video programs, newsletters, podcasts, speeches, and seminars, Ben Gay has helped train directly and directly indirectly, literally millions of professional salespeople around the world. And while all that would have kept me busy, he's authored 30 plus books on the subject of selling and living successfully while ghostwriting for other sales trainers, speakers, and seminar leaders. In fact, it's been said that if you're really a student of professional selling, you have to have at least one of Ben's, and I recommend all of Ben's books in your personal library, whether you know it or not. Ben Gay also writes two newsletters, the Closers Updates and the Closers Alert, and they've been called the Voices of Professional Selling. He crafted and taught the famous People Builders Program for the inmates and staff at California's infamous San Quentin State Prison and at the Lompoc, California Federal Prison Complex. There's a lot in here, Ben. He was nicknamed the Attitude coach for the Apollo 15, 16, and 17 astronauts by Colonel James Irwin, commander of Apollo 15. In 1976, Ben launched the 1-800-number call center industry by founding the National Communications Center. And as you know, that started a business revolution that totally changed the way we all shop and communicate. And Ben Gay was the founder and is the current executive director of the National Association of Professional Salespeople, as we said earlier. Ben has shared his knowledge with literally millions of salespeople around the world through his sales training material, speeches, seminars, and countless TV and radio, radio appearances. Boy, that's a, that's a lot, Ben. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming, Ben. Thank you, Paul. I love hearing about myself. If you want to go on, that's okay. Well, there's there's more. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's the legends and mentors that we can talk about. But uh, how in the heck? I mean, we've been friends for for quite a long time, and uh, it's just an honor to catch up. We we caught up a little bit before before we, we started recording, but. How did your sales career begin and what are some of the major highlights and the setbacks? I know that there were some you had to overcome to become as successful as you've been in sales. Well, uh, part of it is I didn't know any better. I was raised, born into a family <laughs> of salespeople, men mm -hmm. and women and business owners. 
and uh, so I didn't, I almost didn't know anybody that wasn't in selling one way or the other. And uh, through the good graces of my mother and father, I was a member of East Lake Country Club, Bobby Jones Home Course in Atlanta. We, I was raised two blocks out the front gate of East Lake. So I grew up, the rule was I could go with my father after I walked around the course with him or played in later years. I could go into the men's grill with him as long as I was quiet, only speaking if I was directly spoken to. So I got to sit there at the big, <laughs> at the big table with whoever the chairman of the board of Coca-Cola was at the time, because when you were chairman of the board of membership at East Lake came along with it, the founders and owners of Home Depot and lots and lots of very successful people. Uh, the uh, So I just, I almost, you know, we talk about comfort zones. Jim Newman, my old friend, coined that term, comfort zones. Uh, my comfort zone was set high. When I went to work at uh, San Quentin and later at Lompoc, uh, friends of mine would say, well, you know, you were born lucky or whatever. Well, there is an element to that in that there was a, the benefit of a zip code. Uh, I have friends who were <laughs> drug dealers in San Diego and were and who I was of some help to, I think. But had I been born in their zip code and vice versa, you'd probably be interviewing them today instead of me. So there mm. is that element. But somehow I had an ambitious gene in me. I don't remember a time you from age 10. That was my first citywide sales contest victory. I won a bicycle, by the way, selling uh -huh. Krispy Kreme donuts. But even uh -huh. before that, I was selling greeting cards. The neighbors used to laugh and say, we hate to see young Ben. Dad was old Ben. We hate to see young Ben coming up the sidewalk because we're going to have to buy something. So I was selling <laughs> greeting cards, donuts, saltwater, taffy, you name mm. it. And I, so if you say to me, what are you doing? The answer always included the product or service I was selling at the time. And then I got married and I don't know why I, I thought the good life would just continue. But my mother and father explained to me rather clearly you decide to get married. God love you. We love her. It was my first wife who passed away, but uh, we loved her and, and we wish you the best. Uh, I assume, you know, you're not going to be living here. <laughs> 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 and she was in nursing school. So not only was I not making a great deal of money at that time, I was putting a wife through nursing school. So desperation, people say, what inspired you? It was poverty. <laughs> putting a wife through nursing school on uh, not making a whole lot of money. One day I picked up the Atlanta journal constitution outside of a grocery store that I was calling on and uh, went to the one ads. And I went through uh, every conceivable occupation in the one ads in help wanted. And I didn't qualify for any of, them. I mean, I couldn't type boys didn't take, typing class in those days. Mm, so I couldn't yeah. type or do much of anything else. And uh, salespeople didn't, wasn't in the help wanted section. It was under business opportunities. So uh -huh. I almost threw the, the uh, newspaper in the trash can and thought, well, there's a quarter, a nickel, whatever it was wasted. 
when I saw the business opportunity thing. I didn't know what a business opportunity was, but the first ad I saw said, if you, if you know anything about marketing plans and want to make more money, dial this number. Well, I didn't know what a marketing plan was, but I wanted to make more money. So I went into a phone <laughs> booth, and a, a real phone booth where you pull the door yeah. behind you and uh, dialed the number. And I began interviewing the gentleman to see if he was worthy of hiring Ben Gay. And <laughs> about five minutes into my interview, he said, Mr. Gay, Mr. Gay, I'm not the man standing in a phone booth. There's a sound when you call somebody from a phone booth. It's like calling from inside a trash can. I'm not the man standing in a phone booth answering one ads. Where are you? And I gave him my approximate location. He said, oh, good. You're about two blocks from here. 1447 West Peachtree Street uh, Suite 300. Be here in 10 minutes, stand in front of my desk and never dial this number again. And he hung up on me. <laughs> so about that time, my high school running buddy turned out to be my uh, my first business partner and the greatest salesman I ever personally worked with. But neither one of us knew that yet came pulling around to pick me up. And I jumped in the car and said, quick, 1447 West Street. He says, where are we going? I said, we're going to be rich. <laughs> I figured anybody would run an ad in a paper and then hang up on the people who called the number must have something going on. So mm. we went skidding into the receptionist area uh, at his office with a couple of minutes to spare. And I said, hi, I'm Ben Gay here for an appointment. And she said, oh, yes, we're expecting you. And from behind me, a voice said, Ben Gay. And I turned around, I thought maybe I knew him. He was laughing at my name. Well, I'm sort of used to that. Uh, so I, yeah. I said, yeah, my name's Ben Gay. What's yours? And he said, Zig Ziglar. And I said, with a name like Zig Ziglar, you're laughing at Ben Gay? I'd never heard of Zig Ziglar. Nobody else had either. Uh he'd answered the same ad. So oh. we both went into what we thought was a job interview, but it, well, all three of us went in. Rucker was, of course, there. All three of us went in, and it turned out it was an opportunity meeting. And by the time we got through drawing the circles, all three of us agreed to join. And uh, Zig and I and, and Jimmy became the top distributors in the company. And... Uh, uh, then I won a year-long national sales contest. First prize was a mystery prize. Second prize was a Rolls-Royce. Third prize was a Lincoln Continental, then a Thunderbird, and then the state knives began. Uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> last day of uh, the contest, and I almost didn't know that was going on. I, I was raised differently. My father did the best job he could every day. And if that won a television set, great. And if it didn't, he didn't care, you know? Mm -hmm. So I sort yeah. of had that attitude, but what turned out to be the last day of the contest, I, Jimmy and I went and did an opportunity meeting. Meanwhile, in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, Zig Ziglar was having a victory party uh, because he was confident he had won. He kept track of the figures as best they were known. Well, when the dust settled at midnight, I won the contest, Jimmy and I, but I was the front man, won the contest, and Zig came in second, got the Rolls Royce, as it turned out, uh, and the difference in our sales volume over a year was the amount we sold at the opportunity meeting on that last night that Jimmy and I held it. <laughs> 
while Zig <laughs> was celebrating his victory. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they, they uh, flew, you know, it's a cinch by the inch, as they say, and that was an inch. Uh, and it wasn't much, a couple $3,000 separated us. Uh, so huh. they flew me to California uh, to pick up the mystery prize. And I said to William Penn Patrick, who owned the company, was Holiday Magic Cosmetics. I said, uh, well, I understand I won. What's the mystery prize? He said, you're going to be president of the company. And I said, oh. I 25 years old and a high school graduate. And this company was on the verge of exploding. By the time oh, I wow. left, we were doing a million dollars a day in the United States three and a half equivalent of three and a half billion worldwide, five different subsidiaries and, and a huge operation. Uh, and so I'm thinking, does he know how unqualified I am? All I've got is a little gift to gab. <laughs> you know? And uh, I said, what would have happened if somebody won that you didn't like? And he said, well, that's the reason it was a mystery prize. I would have changed it. <laughs> so, on bad days, Zig now worked for me. On bad days, Zig would call the office for whatever reason. And I'd say, Zig, I got a deal for you. You bring me the keys to the Rolls Royce, and I will give <laughs> you the keys to the front door of the office. He said, oh, no, you won fair and square. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a long answer wow. to a short question, but that basically was it. I've known nothing else. I was driven to answer the ad out of poverty and desperation, trying to get a wife through nursing school. Uh, if I had continued to live a rather comfortable life with my mother and father, I never would have picked up the newspaper and you and I wouldn't be talking. Wow. Wow. I, I didn't know that I'd forgotten the, I've heard this story uh, once or twice and I did not remember the mystery part of it. Yeah. I thought there was, I thought there was that, that carrot was there. And I'd wondered if you were, um, if you wanted to be, in charge but you had no idea no that's great none at all that's, that's great which is and, also how and i didn't napoleon know that hill, you didn't care either no uh <laughs> it's also how napoleon hill became my personal mentor the last two and a half years of his life bill patrick hired him to work with me because he said you're doing a great job and sales are going up and all but there must be times when you're scared to death and yeah. don't want to walk down the long hall and tell me that you're scared to death or you don't know what to do or whatever. He says, so I've hired someone to work with you. And he introduced me to Dr. Hill. And, mm -hmm. and he said, anything you tell him is sacrosanct. He will never repeat it to me. And I tested that a couple of times and found out it was right. Dr. Hill never told him anything. If, mm -hmm. any, if Bill knew anything about our relationship, it was because I told him. And, uh, so I, and Dr. Hill was 84 when we met, I was 25. So uh, he was biologically old enough to be my great grandfather and was yeah. a tremendous help to me. Yeah. And, and by that time he, he'd gone through, he, he, he'd had his uh, success or oh, yeah. a supposed success with uh, Think and Grow Rich. And, right. and uh, there was books that he wrote that we found out later on that, that uh, we didn't even know about yet. Like I, call, the, uh, I call it the magic. Outwitting. It's amazing yeah. how many books he's written since he died. Yeah. Uh, so I <laughs> sometimes have my doubts and sometimes in the books he uses words that wouldn't have been known to him at the time. So I call yeah. it the magic desk. But by the time yeah. I met him, the law of success 
and Think and Grow Rich and a few others were nailed down. Those were his. Yeah. Now, I, I remember you telling a story about when you were coming up and this this is about sales scripts mm-hmm. and you you at first you didn't use them tell the story about how you discovered that tool for success and how, how you've leveraged that for uh for what you are today well they gave us you can't duplicate yourself unless you can duplicate your process uh, yeah. and uh, that's where scripting comes in or what i call now because i get a little less resistant script chunks you don't have uh-huh. to you have to know a script from beginning to end it might run an hour word for word if you're smart but you don't ever use it all you use this piece and that piece and so on mm-hmm. hal holbrook the old actor now dead did mark yeah. twain uh, live on stage looking like mark twain and so on he memorized nine and a half hours word for word of mark twain material and yet he said he never gave the same performance twice because he would walk on stage and he had a little short story or a quip that doctor uh, that mark was, <laughs> that uh, mark twain had uh, uh, used and he would tell that and based on he knew what the audience reaction should be to that mm-hmm. and based on what it was what their reaction actually was determined the second story he would tell as he reached into his nine and a half hour vault of material. So it was all scripted word for word, but no two performances are the same. That's sort of the way selling is. Anything that I sell or represent, I have word for word. I say the same thing every time the subject comes up, but not necessarily in the same order and not necessarily all of it. Uh, what's necessary and the scripting how I got driven to scripting was Rucker and I got in this business and uh, uh, we put up $91.41 to start a little sample kit one of everything and rather quickly uh, we had a master closer working with us he talked us into putting up $2,500 today that'd be about $25,000 and then uh become a master distributor uh, and then become a general distributor was another 2,500. So we had about $5,000, $50,000 sunk into this real life. We're making a hundred dollars a week working for my father and about a thousand a week adjusted. So uh, I walk in the Georgian Terrace hotel on Peachtree street one night to uh, go to the meeting and Bill Dempsey, our sponsor, the guy who ran the little lad called me over. He said, Ben, I need to talk to you about something. So I went over. Yes. And he said, I, I, I don't want you coming to the meetings anymore. Well, we had the equivalent of $50,000 sunk into the business, which was about yeah. total 10 years of what I was making at the time. Yeah. And so not coming to the, uh, not coming to the meeting was not an option. Uh, yeah. I just couldn't do it. Uh, owed too much money to the bank and to Rucker and so on. And uh, so I said, okay, you're sending me a message. What's the message? He said, I gave you a script when I recruited you. He gave me three things, a copy of uh, uh, The uh, Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. I started to hold it up and show it to you. I forgot we were on the radio, Uh, (laughs) but he gave me the record. I still have that. 
and a copy of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Just a few years mm -hmm. later, both gentlemen were working for me. Earl was the voice of the company. I hired him to do that. Ah. The, the book long since got stolen, but uh, although I have other copies now. And, uh, and he said, and I gave you a script. And you didn't use it. You didn't learn it. Several scripts. One was how to invite somebody to a meeting, then how to give the meeting. They were smart enough not to have me do that yet. And then what you said after the meeting, how you closed them, and then the post-sell, uh, calming them down when they get home and realize they, they just joined the cosmetic business, which a lot of men didn't want to do back <laughs> right. then. And he said, so you don't come with anybody because you haven't learned that script. You, you literally don't bring anybody, but you're here every night like clockwork, and I'm proud of you for that. Therefore, people see you here every night. They assume you're making money. And when they can't close their prospects, they raise their hand and you go over, but you haven't learned that script. So you blow off their pro. You didn't bring anybody and then you blow off their prospects. So I just mm -hmm. can't have you here anymore. He said, Ben, frankly, you're becoming depressing. Well, I'd never heard. I was voted wittiest in my high school class. I'd never heard <laughs> my name and depressing in the same sentence ever. Right. Uh, I've heard jackass and Ben Gay, <laughs> never depressing. I said, all right, what do I have to do? He said, well, I'm going to give you fresh copies of all the scripts I gave you the first time. And you go home and memorize them word for word. That included a 47 minute opportunity meeting word for word. And I said, okay. And he said, when you can stand in front of my desk, the same desk I sat in front of when I joined, and give yeah. them to me, uh, then you can come back to the meetings. So a week, 10 days later, I went in front of him, did them all, and uh, uh, said, okay, what now? What do I do now? And he said, uh, here's an idea. Why don't you take that new recruiting script you finally learned and go say it to some people? <laughs> well, a week later, let's say, I walked into the Georgian Hotel, Georgian Terrace Hotel, with my first five prospects. Somebody else gave the 47-minute meeting. They didn't trust me with that. Uh, but then the lights came back on after the film, and there I am with my legal pad, and I used the script and went through the closing script. And then I did a post-sell and by the script and so on. And I made... Uh, in a counting my portion of it be less than 30 minutes, about an hour and a half grand total beginning to end. I made more money sitting at a table with five people than I had made any year in my life. Wow. They all came in at the top level. Uh, and, uh, we, and I thought, whoa, I, I wonder if I should have been doing this the previous six months. <laughs> <laughs> and we were off and running and yeah we were off and running and almost immediately that year-long contest started and those oh. scripts are what saved me and uh, took us to the top so i'm a fanatic about them uh in direct mail there's a wall street journal letter it starts out something like 25 years ago on a spring day two people graduated and so on we've all gotten that letter yeah and so yeah. Other well that's their control letter that's the letter they've been trying to beat, have a better letter than for almost 50 years, and they've never been able to beat it. So why would they just take a scrambled up letter and mail that out? Well, obviously they wouldn't. 
why would you take a proven script that took a company from somebody's bedroom to a million dollars a day and not say that over and over and over again? So uh, towards the end in 25 different companies in selling five different products, but it's all the same marketing plan in 20 countries at 7.59 p.m. in hundreds of meeting rooms around the world, somebody would walk to the front of their room and in their language, talking about their product, they would say, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben Gay, uh, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to tonight's special holiday magic, stay power, motor oil, letters, Bob coming to vitamin, whatever meeting. And uh, tonight we're going to show you ways to turn your life around in a positive way. 20 languages, five companies, 20 countries at 759. I knew exactly what they were saying. And that's what took us in today's money to three and a half billion dollars from Bill Patrick's mother's bedroom. Uh, so the 1960, uh, five years before. Wow. So, you know, and the other thing, uh, Paul, that's interesting, people say, I don't like to work on scripts. I said, really? Do you ever go to the movies? Do you ever watch television? Even the news? Do you know they're reading off a teleprompter, what somebody else wrote? They're reading yeah. a script. A script. Yeah. And, uh, and if you've been in selling over 30 days, you're on a script now. It's something you made up and tend to say over and over and over again. So it's not that you, you're against scripting. You apparently are against good, effective scripting. And that's the difference. And I have taken people, Paul, they had to do all the work. So I'm taking too much credit to say it that way. But I've taken people off milk trucks who were making $100 a week. And a year later had them making $360,000 a year in late 60s money. And I've taken people out of prisons and put them on a script with a good product. If, if they were a good person, I didn't take Charlie Manson out of San Quentin and take him anywhere. But yeah, there were a lot of people that shouldn't have been there to start with. All they did was mess up one time, get them with a good product and get them on a script. They can make a lot of money. And so I've been traveling the world saying that in English and through translators since 1965. Wow. And I bet you've been using the same words, haven't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. And so, so I guess a follow-up question to that would be, so how, how do our listeners to the Lead Machine Growth Show and people who are going to be hearing this, how, how can they create that script that, I mean, I, they have one already because they're using one, but how, mm, how do you yeah. go about crafting one that really works like that? Is there a well, formula that you use? Yeah, or, well, or many of conversational is one thing. Yeah. I, I never yeah. sound like, and now I'm going to tell you this and that and so on. Mm-hmm. It's so smooth. Yeah. No one knows you're on the script. And uh-huh. uh, people spent, mil- invested millions of dollars with me and never knew they were listening to a script. Because again, I say the same thing, basically the same way all the time. Once it's proven and tested, the answer to your question is, and I have a a 10 day and I I don't do them anymore, but a 10 day seminar, a five day seminar, 
a four-day seminar, a three-day, an, an all-day uh, seminar, and a one-hour presentation. And they all say the same thing. In other words, the work expands to fit the time allowed. You want a 10-day seminar, I'll give you one. But right. I can also bail it, uh, boil it down to about five minutes. The secret to selling and being successful in selling is you always have, and I always think from the salesperson's point of view, I'm not disregarding the company, but when I'm work, XYZ company has hired me to work with their salespeople, it's their salespeople I'm concerned with. Because if that works, the company's handled automatically. But it's yeah. never, you know, go in there and beat those suckers and make them make them do this and make them do that. I said, I'll inspire them to do what's right. So to the salespeople, I always say the same thing. Make sure you're spending your days selling a quality product or service that is competitively priced. Doesn't have to be the cheapest, but competitively quality for quality. Spend your day talking to qualified people, qualified to buy that. That might be religiously, might be financially, might be geographically but qualified to buy it. I, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time trying to sell my mother, my uh, mother-in-law, uh, a steamship. She doesn't need a steamship. You know, yeah. so the subject just wouldn't come up. She doesn't have the money. She doesn't need one. <laughs> she doesn't like yeah. the ocean. There's a whole lot of reasons. <laughs> yeah. waste of time. So meanwhile, you become and learn how to tastefully project that you are a person of class, quality, and substance. And then you find an effective way to present that. We're back to scripting now. Yeah. And either they write it and, and you personalize it a little bit. Uh, but if it's proven, hold back on the personalization and just do the script that's working. And then I would encourage them to get around the number one salesperson in that organization who's honest in a lot of yeah. sales organizations, the top volume guy is not the one you want to uh, follow. Uh, you'll, your career will come to an end and you'll be in trouble. So you want to follow the top person. Ali Rita is the top automobile salesperson on the planet. He broke, broke Joe Girard's records, which stood for over 40 years. Talking to Ali one day, he he heard that I was number one everywhere I went. And he said, well, if you came to work here in his automobile dealership, would you be number one here? I said, yeah, after about six months or so, you know, get in, learn how to sell a car, beyond common sense. He said, well, how would you do that? And I gave him the answer I just gave you, quality product, competitive price, so-and-so. Well, he sells Cadillac, Chevrolets, that's handled. They're quality products. They're competitively priced. Yeah business makes them competitively priced and i would spend my time stirring up people who want to buy a car which is if you're 16 or up everybody everybody has a car has had a car is wants another car so yeah that's one of those things where everybody's qualified just about you know uh and i said and then ali every time you turned around i would be standing there with a notepad trying to figure out exactly what it is you're saying, whether you've written it down or not, you're on a script. The way you handle people is a process. Uh, you know, the people in the car business trying to sell uh, 10 cars this month. Ali sells four and a third 
cars a day, seven days a week. And, yeah. and it doesn't work but five days a week. But I'm mean, say so if you average it out, he sells four and a third cars every day, seven days a week, but he does it in five days. If you were going to go in the car business, wouldn't you want to know what Ali's doing? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And he sold the year he broke the record in 2017. He sold 1,582 cars. There are people who spent their career in the automobile business who haven't sold 1,582 cars. So that's <laughs> it. Quality product, competitively priced. Spend your day talking to qualified people. Become a person of class, quality, and substance. Uh, and get a, get follow somebody who's really doing well in the business. Don't be annoying where you get run off. But find out what they're doing and mirror that as best you can. That's called scripting. And then yeah. my other little secret, especially in the early days when I really wasn't very talented, I was just eager, was I came early, stayed late, and worked on weekends. That gave me more hours to do it. It was also a situation when the boss, whoever the boss was, came in. I was there going, hi, how are you? Good to see you. And he's going, oh, Ben Gay, uh -huh. ben Gay beat me to work. Yeah. And then when he left, and I would find out when they left. Uh, I'd work late anyway, but I would, I'm not going to leave at seven. If I know he leaves at seven 30, I'm going to leave at seven 31. So when he right. leaves, Hey, have a great evening. You know, so there's Ben gay selling as much or more than anyone in the company beats me to work, stays later, et cetera. He is therefore promotable, not just yeah. more sales. He's promotable. And there, everybody's looking, you know, this in your businesses, you're all looking yeah. for a go-getter who will outwork everybody else. I have a high closing rate. I close 86% of all the sales that I try and make. And that doesn't include taking a book order or something. Uh, and it doesn't include group sales where I might sell a couple hundred thousand dollars at a time from a stage talking to a whole bunch of people. There, it's not 86% because I, I don't get one-on-one -on -one with it. It's more money. Yeah. Yeah, of the ones where uh, they might want me to write a sales script form or uh, give a, a, a seminar of one, two, three, four days and so on. When they called in, that wasn't a done deal. 86% of the time, it's a done deal by the time I get off the phone. And when people ask me, how do you have an 86% closing rate? I just told you. <laughs> Come early, stay late, work on weekends, sell a quality products, et cetera. And there you are. And yeah, people aren't willing to put in. I mean, it's just so simple. Now, I'll, I'll grant you, I was born uh, uh, with just two eyes. I don't have five. I don't have five ears. Uh, you know, <laughs> so I was at least normal looking. And because of my mother and father, I have a little wit and enjoy kidding around with people and so on. So it's easier for some people to be successful. But many of the people that I've talked about that I've helped become extremely successful didn't have any of those gifts. And they weren't raised two blocks out East Lake, out of the front gate of East Lake Country Club. They just <laughs> did what I took. Tony Milano, I pulled literally in, in front of the Hotel Pontchartrain in Detroit literally pulled him off a milk truck and said, come into this meeting. Cause I was showing some people how easy it is to come into this meeting. 
I, if they tow your milk truck, I'll pay for it. Have somebody go get it, pay for it and bring it back. I want you to come to this meeting. He's the one who went from whatever you make as a milk truck driver to $380,000 his first year in the business. And he didn't know, I hope Tony doesn't hear this or take this as an insult if he does. Tony was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I think he just had a high school education. He was a milk truck driver. But like me, he was dumb enough to do what he was told. Yeah. That's funny. You know, you're talking about the uh, the scripts and and um, one of my colleagues where, where I work um, in sales, he's he's the number he and his the, the guy he worked with. They're both they're, they're the two top salespeople and they're both super storytellers. They're 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 great with people. They're always telling stories. And, um, but they, they, they don't realize that they're using a script. And I I've been telling them for years, let's record you so we can, we can teach the others what you're doing. Yeah, We can type and it up. <laughs> we can type it up and we can teach people and, and have, and, uh, you know, they're resistant to it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame that uh, more people don't do that. One of the things you said about the secret to sales too, is um, a lot of people have a quality product and it's competitively priced, but they don't know how to find people who, who want to buy a steamship. You know what I mean? They, they don't know who their customers are, who their, who their target customers are. And I find that so, so often when working with, uh, with the people, the coaching clients I have is uh, that's the first thing we do is we, we, um, you know, we don't even start with the product. We start with what problem are you trying to solve? Because a lot of the people I work with are, are coaches and uh, authors and speakers, uh, but mo- mostly coaches. And they don't have a product yet where they think they have something that they, that they want to sell people but they don't know, they don't know if they really need it or not. Mm-hmm. Like your, like your, your, your mother-in-law in the steamship. Uh, and so we go through an ex- exercise where we, we, um, we really find out what the problem is that they have, that there is number one top of mind problem that they have that, that we can solve for them and they and focus on that so that we can attract them into having a conversation and to exploring because a lot of these a lot of coaches they do a lot of there's there's healing involved there's there's mindset involved and there's skill building involved and and, but you've got to you've got to find that the right person who's able to buy and who's got this problem that that wants to have that problem solved and uh so that's just it's so simple it's so simple of a starting point but so many people including myself have struggled with that for, for so long and it's just, it is really simple. And when you say it, it's, it's, it's like, wow, why didn't we think all, why didn't we think of that? And they gather a- in clumps, Paul, there's a thing called the encyclopedia of associations, uh-huh. thousands of associations in the United States. Whenever two or more people have an idea, somehow God brings them together and they form an association and they recruit <laughs> a few other people. 
and they talk about the problems they face in that industry and they solve them and write them down. And it's one of the benefits of being a member of the association and so on. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You've probably seen them on the news, if not in person. There's a thing called a fainting goat. It's a goat, you know, bah. Uh, yeah. If you sneak up on it and startle it, it freezes like a statue and you can topple it over and it'll land <laughs> on its side with all four feet straight out. Uh, well, there are fainting goat associations. There's a national fainting goat association. There's an American fainting goat association and they hate each other. I don't know how it thinks to me. If you just sort of come to terms, we both like fainting goats <laughs> in the story. Let's merge our associations. And there's an international fainting goat association. And uh, there are variations of that all across the world. There's a European fainting goat association. So if I sold some product that a person who liked or raised or whatever uh, was appealing to a fainting goat enthusiast, mm-hmm. I'd go find out where they hang out, what they belong to. My yeah. brother-in-law is a, uh, you get a kick out of him. He's like something out of the gold rush era. He never has quite joined modern society. He lives, he's got <laughs> acreage, uh, very valuable property. But he lives on that acreage in basically a hut. I wouldn't go camping in it. And that's his home. He's very comfortable there. But he's a top trout fisherman in the area. Everybody knows David Ronzoni. And he's the type Mm. he likes to take friends with him who have fishing licenses because they won't fill up their limit. But he can fill up his limit and their limit and their limit. And so (laughs) if they get caught, you know, they have 30 fish there's enough licenses to cover 30 fish 28 of them are probably his uh i said to him one day david how how do you catch so many trout he said i go where they live (laughs) yeah i said you make a great salesperson that's what we all need in selling he goes where they live he doesn't i've never seen him fish for trout in our swimming pool (laughs) never but I've seen him as wave goodbye to him as he went off to the American River to three or four of his favorite spots on the river where the trout hang out and come back with enough to feed a dozen of us. So yeah. that would probably should have been up in the in the front end, go where they are. And they right. gather they gather together in groups. Once you know where to look, they're not hard to find. Whatever we're talking no. about. Make That's up a right. subject. I promise you there's an association on that subject <laughs> or that product, and they have regular meetings. Go find them. People want to be public speakers. Well, where do I start? The worst job to have in any service organization is the program chairman, because it's your job to find a good speaker once a, a week or once a month or what have you. Everybody hates that job. The new guy always gets stuck with it. Call your local Lions Club, Kiwanis Club, whatever, ask to be put in touch with the program chairman. Tell them what you do and go get in front of that group. Well, they're not going to pay me anything. Probably not in the beginning, but that's not the point. You're standing right. in front of a hundred business leaders. Right. Now they know you're a public speaker. And to them, you do have a price. Set in your head in the beginning with a script to sell it. Zig used to kid me because he was 18 years older. I, I beat him and he worked for me, but he was 18. He was in the Navy the day I was born. 
<laughs> so he'd had more experience and he was raised in the Southern church. So he came out of his mother's womb telling jokes and laughing and storytelling and and so on. He was a much better speaker than I was, especially in the beginning. And even at the end, we were different. He was a good old boy, lounge act. I was a serious sales trainer. People enjoyed hearing him talk. They made money when I talked. Uh, but Zig would say, uh, Ben Gay would work a traffic accident because early in the day, <laughs> in my career, I would. I wanted experience. Remember that pump handle he used to haul around, biscuits, fleas, and pump handles were his three most famous talks. That pump uh, handle uh, must have weighed 50 pounds, and it was rusty. And I saw him getting it out of a car one day, going in to give a talk. And I said, Zig, you shouldn't be seen doing that. And he said, well, who's going to carry it? I said, here's <laughs> the deal. I'll carry it. That would be like seeing Elvis unload the drum set out of the back of a station wagon in Las Vegas. You're just not supposed to see that. You know, somebody <laughs> has to unload it, but not right. Elvis. Uh, I said, here's the deal. If I can sit in the front row anytime I'm in town, the same town you are, sit in the same row, have lunch before or dinner after the talk so you can teach me what you did and so on. I will carry that stupid pump in for you. I must have carried that pump into 50 or 100 meetings. And he, <laughs> he said, why do you do that? He didn't understand what I was up to. I was learning. I was taking notes uh, mentally and written. Uh, I was doing what I would have done with Ali Rita. Zig was good at what he did, better than I was. I was scared to death to give a talk. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I nailed myself to the side of Zig Ziglar and learned. And he learned from me. One day uh, I saw him with this panic look in his face, looking for the program chairman. He had not uh, yet collected his money for the speech he just gave. And it was in the days when $300 was sort of important. Earl Nightingale was giving speeches for $500. And uh, so I saw Zig with that panic look in his face. I thought, oh, that's not good. And I said, what's up, Zig? He said, I can't find the chairman. He may have done that trick where they go home so they don't have to pay you, you know? Yeah. I, I said, why don't you get paid in advance? He said, nobody'd pay in advance. I said, well, because I was ignorant and didn't know that no one paid in advance, I collect in advance. And normally if 30 days before the talk, I hadn't been paid, I just, the date is gone. I, I give it to somebody else. So I learned to you get paid in advance. It was rather simple. And he changed the way he did. And he taught me to collect anything. I'm, I just gave a talk. I'd worked for about six hours talking to Holly Magic distributors about what I was doing. And then Zig came in and did biscuits, fleas, and pump handles, those three talks. And <laughs> it worked less than an hour. I'm up in front of the room after he's done. And I'm looking across the room. And there's Zig talking to Bill Dempsey, the guy that recruited me. And Dempsey shook his hand, reached in his pocket, vest pocket pulled out an envelope and gave it to Zig. Zig put it in his pocket. And I thought, I wonder what that is. It looked remarkably like a payment being made. Mm -hmm. I hadn't been paid. I was there because I'm Ben Gay and there's an audience and they want to hear what I have to say. So I followed Zig down the hallway. There was a coffee shop in the building. Phone down. I said, Zig, let me buy you a cup of coffee. I haven't had a chance to visit with you. He said, fine. Went in, bought him coffee, iced tea, whatever. And I said, just to keep Dempsey honest. How much should he pay you? 
And Zig said, well, let's see. He reached in his pocket, pulled out the thing. I think it was $300. I said, all right. Paul, I had just given my last free talk. I saw <laughs> with my own eyes <laughs> that Dempsey was paying Zig $300 to do nothing. I mean, it was good, but it was an hour versus my six hours. Yeah. That was my last free, except in prisons and churches and so on. That was my last free talk. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so that's crazy. Uh, so let's, behind you, there is a backdrop that says Ben Gay III, the closers. And you created the term, as I recall, the master closer. Uh, so in Closers 1, that was, that was, I really like, by the way, I really like Closers 1 because I'm stupid and I need to have those, <laughs> those, I need to have those fundamentals before yeah. I can, I got to start at the beginning, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then you told a fascinating story about sales infiltration in the closers two part two. What exactly is that? And how can one uh, use that to a, their advantage? I kind of know the answer, but I, I want to hear, hear your answer. Well, the it closes part one is the kicks, the blocks and the punches of selling the red raw meat, the way selling yeah. at its core really is and not the way we wish it was, but the top yeah. salespeople, me, Jimmy Rucker, Zig, we don't do that. We know it. It's in our, you know, if you say something incredibly kindergartenish as a prospect, we have an incredibly kindergartenish response to get you <laughs> back on track. Yeah. That's the Closers Part One. And it's by far the most popular book of the Closers series, which is now five books with five others in the works. But uh, the truth is, the Closers Part Two is a far better book. And yeah. in the back of it is sales infiltration. It's what those of us who are master closers slash sales infiltrators really do. You know, the closers part one will teach you if they try and throw you out of the house, say this and do this. And so I'm a Southern gentleman. If you tell me to get out of your house, I'm gone. So I had to figure out a way to sell where you didn't ask me to get out of your house. Kirby Vacuum Thunder, yeah. I do some work with, says the, the presentation isn't over till you have payment in your hand or the police have been called. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to sell that way. So yeah. I developed sales infiltration and one day actually wrote it down and inspired 40 some odd pages, inspired writing. It was like the, my hand, I wrote it on a legal pad is like my hand was moving and I had very little control over it because it was what Jimmy Rucker really does. It's what I do at my best and none of it would get you thrown out of a house. And then you get down to what I call the magic close. Paul, based on what we've discussed or based on what you've told me, whichever one's most appropriate, here's what I suggest we do, fill in the blank blah, 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 buy mm -hmm. the car, do the thing, have the house re-roofed, whatever, okay? Here's what I suggest we do. Fair enough? Yeah. 86% of the time, they say, yeah, fair enough. So, the, the, but the trick is getting positioned to do that. I've had people go out with me on sales calls who are waiting for the close, but what they don't know is that other 30, 40 minutes they probably found boring was the close. Mm -hmm. The magic close was that last little sentence. Jimmy Rucker yeah. could have written the closers part two 
and I used to try and put him from the room, make him a sales trainer, and he just never really was very good at it or interested. He he would say, this is a unconscious competent. He would say, well, just tell him to do what I do. And I said, no, Jimmy, you have to write that down. (laughs) (laughs) You have to tell him what you do. Well, the truth is he didn't know. He was raised by a wonderful family in the South and you get along with everybody and you're a good storyteller and you sell, if you're going to go into selling, you sell good products and so on. My father was the one who spotted Rucker's talent before I did. He was my running buddy. We tried to pick up girls together and drink beer. That was was the core of our relationship. And my father (laughs) said to me one day, do you realize who you're working with? And I said, Jimmy Rucker? He said, yeah, very good on your part. Uh, Jimmy (laughs) Rucker, the greatest salesman I've ever seen. And coming from my father, that was really something. But, But he just, he was an unconscious competent. In the closers part two, I took what Jimmy and a bunch of other of us really do, and I wrote it down. And when, mm-hmm. when Rucker got his first copy of the closers part two, he said, this is good. This is very similar to what I do. I said, I know. <laughs> I studied you for years, and I wrote <laughs> it down. Yeah. That's funny. So it's, it seems so simple. And you know, you when you when you use that magic close phrase, it really snuck up on me. I was ready. I was ready to buy. Yeah, we hadn't even discussed the product, and you said, "Yeah, I know." I did. <laughs> I did. You it just bought a steamship. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> so it's at the top of the hour. Uh, do you have a few more minutes? I have maybe a couple of questions more. Sure. Or sure. okay. Um, you introduced me to a book called Wamish, and can you talk a little bit about that book? I just love that book, and I've I've uh, given that given copies of that to uh, to a number of uh, people that uh, really appreciate it. And why is it so important to treat your customers in a way that to avoid that Wamish factor? Can you well, let's tell them what Wamish stands for? It's W A Y M I S H W A Y M I S H written by a dear friend of mine who's now gone, Ray Considine. I have a little two-segment thing in there, one about the worst McDonald's on earth, which we happen to have here in Placerville, and one about the best Rite Aid on earth, which we happen to have here in Placerville, and I tell those two stories. But Wamish is Ray Considine's frustration with what you're talking about. It's so simple. You know, you just, you don't have to do much, but make them solve their problem. People don't buy drills. They buy quarter inch holes. That's the solution. Yeah. The drill is how they get this, you know, um, and Weymish stands for why are you making it so hard dot, dot, dot for me to give you my money? <laughs> People love to buy. They want to buy solutions. They have things going on in their life they want fixed. And yet salespeople uh, and marketing people get in their way. You know, Ray used to say it over dinner in frustration. He said, Ben, I went into XYZ store. All I wanted to do was buy a suit. I didn't want to get into an (laughs) argument. I wanted a suit, tailor-made, perfect fit with special lining. And I will, and, and I'm old enough where they should know he had white hair and all. He said, I'm old enough where they should know this isn't my first suit. 
and that I am aware that this is not your $125 Sears suit. This is a $3,000 custom-made, tailor-made, bespoke suit. Yeah. Uh, so all you have to do is find out what I want, what color, and I'll buy it. So why are you getting in my way? And they do it everywhere all the time. Lay back, listen. That's another part of the sales secret thing. Listen. Yeah. It was said of Nelson Mandela. He was not only a great speaker and a brave man and spent 20 years or whatever it was in isolation in a prison. Uh, he was a dynamic listener, which are two interesting words to have in the same sentence. Dynamic listener. Ray Considine could have the most casual conversation with you and six months later quote back whole sections of it word for word. And he found little things that worked. This almost would fall into scripting. He would tell you a story about something he was involved in near the end of the story. He said, so, so Ben, I, I did what you would do. Well, as soon as he says that, you're on the edge of your chair because you want to know what you would have done. You know, <laughs> yeah. he must have done it to me 50 times or 100 times. I fell for it every time. So, Ben, I, I, I did what you would have done. What's, what's that, Ray? What's, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm wonderful. What is it? But anyway, that book is filled with stories written. I don't know how many people are in it. It must be 50 of us that contributed something. And it's filled with stories of easy situation handled properly easy situation handled improperly mm. and, you know a lot of times you can learn by a good example you can also learn by a bad example what not to do uh my little story about mcdonald's which i won't bore you with is exactly what not to do a they didn't honor their offer and b they were rude about it and when they were rude about it and I asked see the manager, I saw the manager. She went over and whispered in his ear and he ducked behind the counter and I guess went into his secret office and never reappeared. And I tried to outweigh him. Finally, I had other things to do. But I yeah. sat there sipping on a Coke, staring at that door because um, I wanted him to know. Instead, since he wouldn't let me tell him, I've told millions of people about the worst McDonald's on the planet is in Placerville, California, on Upper Broadway. Easy to find, only one we have in town. And uh, I, I am confident I've been able to turn away a few customers. Why are you make? I just came in to buy a hamburger and a whatever, you know. Why are you making that difficult? Versus the Rite Aid one, every time I hit the door, the lady no longer works there, but every time I hit the door, this lady would say, Ben Gay, how are you? Behind the cashier, she's not going to go out on the floor and all. How are you? What are you in here for today? Well, I hit blah, blah, blah. Aisle seven, second shelf down, you know, and then coming back up, make a big deal. Like I was the most important person in the world during that five or 10 minute interlude. And I'd look forward. I've never looked forward to going to a drugstore drug store before. And now they've got another manager similar in nature and, and demeanor and all. I look for things I can get at Rite Aid because I like going in that store. The new manager announces me on the microphone. Ladies and <laughs> gentlemen, Ben Gay III is in the store. And <laughs> I sort of like attention, you know. Well, yeah, most of us do. <laughs> so I, us I do. take a bow, go about my shopping. And as I leave the door, most of the, as I'm leaving, most of the time you say, 
and the great Benjamin Franklin Gay III is leaving us for today. And I turn and wave. <laughs> Where else would you go? I'd go without aspirin if I had <laughs> headache. I don't. But if, if they were closed, I'd go without aspirin until they were open. I love going to Rite Aid in Placerville, California. Why? There's a person there who's not making it difficult for me to spend my money in that store. And the Waymish book, get a, we, we sell it, by the way. It's at our uh, eBay website. Yeah, yeah. I have, I don't know how many. It's not a big seller because that's not what we do, but it is. I keep wanting to hold it up in front of the camera and I keep forgetting we're not on camera. You and I are. <laughs> you and I are, yeah. Yeah. We're on uh, radio. Get a hold of the Waymish. You'll really get a kick out of it and learn a bunch. Yeah, and get a hold of the the closers, especially yes. one and two. Yes. Uh, so especially if you need to learn how to block and tackle. Uh, to to wrap up things, I want to ask you, what are three things? And we've talked about scripting. We've talked about sales and infiltration. We talked about uh, just kind of overcoming that uh, that work ethic that you have what are three things that that our listeners can do to put these ideas and Waymish we talked about mm -hmm. what are three things that our audience can do to put these ideas and these tactics and these strategies into action well it, it, don't count it as one of the three but i'll tell you a secret uh think and grow dr hill worked for my for two and a half years uh think and grow rich he wrote as a sales training book People put the oh. philosophy into it. He said, I wrote a sales training book. Can't control how it's used, but it's a sales training book. And people ah. have spent their life looking for the secret buried somewhere in the pages. Okay, here's the secret from the lips of Dr. Napoleon Hill to me. The whole book is about action. Yeah. Take action. That's the secret. Um, Love it. So... I was asked one day in front of a group in Las Vegas, what are the three things, Dr. Hill, most important things he taught you? And I hate questions like that because either I can't think of anything, not with Dr. Hill, but with some people, I literally can't think of anything uh, <laughs> that, that they taught me. Uh, and the other thing is he taught me 500 things. How do I pick three? When I was asked that question in Las Vegas in Don Cody's uh, seminar, I looked up to the ceiling and i was thinking jesus don't fail me now you know, <laughs> help me come up with three things <laughs> yeah. and i heard me say integrity in all things mm -hmm. he was just relentless on it in all things yeah focus when you're working on something focus on it and I'm, I'm one of those shiny object guys for instance <laughs> there's a television about five feet from where i'm sitting and when with my peripheral vision, I see headline or something, it's hard for me to focus on your picture on the screen. My instinct is to turn and find out what they're talking about. So <laughs> yeah. focus. And Dr. Hill must have said that to me a hundred times. So I'd be sitting, I had a big conference table, a desk. He sat at one end of it and I'm working on something. We're talking about something and something would go on in my executive assistant's office, my secretary, for lack of a better word. And I would look up because there's a new body. There's a moving figure. I'd look up and he said, Ben, focus, focus. So that was wow. the second thing. And the third thing was the secret in thinking grow rich action. 
Uh, one time I was hesitating making a decision. I didn't even know it. I was just having meeting after meaningless meeting and so on. And after one of the meetings, everybody got up and left. Dr. Hill would never question my judgment or criticize me in front of anybody else. But when the door would click shut, if he had something to tell me, I'd see his head come up. And then uh-huh. at the end of this meeting, uh, he said, Ben, what? because we agreed to meet again in a few days to discuss this. It was a men's cosmetic line product selection. Uh, uh, we agreed to meet again. He said, Ben, what, what are you going to know the next time you get that group together that you don't know now? And it was, you know, whether to launch it was basically it. And I said, I don't know. He said, Ben, you're dithering, which is a word his generation use frequently you're dithering take action so i call everybody back together and i says anybody need anything now before that you handle you know your area the art department the legal department the production department whatever everyone went no and i got the feeling that they would answer the same way a month earlier but i kept calling meetings and so the second thing like focus would have been take action, take action now. So integrity in all things, focus and action are the three things that sort of pop to my mind anytime I think of Dr. Hill, which is several times a day. Yeah, that must have been a real blessing for you to have have him uh, with, with his experience. And, you know, he went through a lot of turmoil himself and, yes. and, uh, and to, 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 uh, to live that life and and to be there with you to to give you the last protege so to speak uh to to give that impart that wisdom to you uh must have been an honor for him too to, to know you well i would like to think so but that wasn't the way i looked at it when i was 25 and he was 84 <laughs> <laughs> right but yeah he, he uh had a chair in my office at the end of the conference table it was called dr hill's chair and no one sat in it if he was in town and no one sat in it until it was the, if he wasn't in town, until it was the only chair of 15 or so in the office. Then reluctantly, someone would say, is it okay if I sit here? And up at the house, we had Dr. Hill's bedroom, Dr. Hill's room. So when he was in town, five, six times a year, I would guess for four or five days each time, I was beside him with, within touching distance anytime he wasn't going to the bathroom. I mean, he was yeah. always there at the house, in the car, at the office. I really learned that I had been blessed. Yeah. And it wasn't free. Uh, Bill Patrick paid him $50,000 the first year in today's money. That's about a half a million uh, to be my friend. It was like Rodney Dangerfield, the old comedian, his family type. <laughs> He said, tied a pork chop around his neck so the family dog would play with him. Uh, (laughs) I had a $50,000 check. And then at the end of that first year, he started hinting about, are we going on? By that time, I'd forgotten because we paid him up front in one check. Uh, I'd sort of forgotten. I thought we were buddies. I forgot it was a business arrangement. (laughs) He started hinting (laughs) around. So I went to Bill Patrick, the owner. And I said, Bill, Dr. Hill's sort of hinting around. He'd like to do a second year with me. What do you think? He says, totally up to you. I paid the first year. (laughs) (laughs) So Ben Gay wrote him a check for $50,000 out of my personal account, the second. And I think the third year, which I've always kidded about it, I think I 
Bill Patrick paid him the first year. I paid him the second. I probably paid him the third. We were two and a half years into the deal. Uh, and then he died on me. So I think somebody yeah. owes me half of that payment. Yeah. <laughs> well, you didn't get your whole year. Yeah. It's only two and a half years. Yeah. But no one has come forward. So I, I think I lost that. Yeah. Well, Ben, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, it's so nice to catch up with you. Um, I'd like to like to see you again sometime soon. And I uh, appreciate it. Uh, ben, you can connect with Ben, uh, actually get his books. I, I recommend you can get the Weymish book. You, you can get the Closer Series book. You can go to www.leadmachinegrowthshow.com forward slash Ben's dash books. And you'll find that on the, on the website, on the episode page. Uh, ben, do you have any final words for nope. our audience today? Uh, if no? anybody wants okay. to have a direct question or something, my email address, it's on my all the stuff. If you order the books, it's there. Is BFG3. B is in Ben, F is in Frank, G is in Gay, the numeral three at DirectCon, short for Direct Connect, D I R E C T C O N dot net. Love to hear from you. And if I hear from you, make sure you tell me that Paul uh, sent you. Right. Well, thank you so much again. And uh, remember, Faith and action go hand in hand. So put the pedal to the metal. And until next time on the Lead Machine Growth Show, I'm Paul Guyon. So long for now. See you next time. Thank you for tuning into the Lead Machine Growth Show with Paul Guyon, where we show you how to tackle your tech, master your message, and design your dream so that you can transform your vision into reality. Remember to visit our website at www leadmachinegrowthshow.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Lead Machine Growth Show.